0: Hello and welcome to E3 Energy and Efficiency with Emily. I'm your host, Emily Mottram. This podcast is all about architecture, building science, and female entrepreneurship. So prepare to get nerdy. This week on the podcast, we have John and Reggie from Emerald Builders, and uh, I'm super excited to talk a little bit more about policy with them, something that we haven't talked much about, but is super important to the future of both building and building science. So I'm going to let them introduce themselves, tell us who you are, tell us about your business and uh, how you got here.
1: Thanks, Emily. Uh, This is Reggie. My name is Reggie LaBelle. Uh, I started Emerald Builders in 2006. Um, I grew up in the construction industry in, the, in more of the high-end building market um, but I got to a point where I became pretty disgusted with what we were building and although the stuff we were working on was really cool and beautiful from a craftsman you know standpoint um, we had massive amounts of waste disregard the environmental impact and just general disconnect Um, between all that important stuff so I said heck with it and uh, let's start a building company so it's since our inception all you know our focus has been fully on you know building high-performance homes that are environmentally friendly and uh, and healthy to live in and healthy to work on we are also uh, a triple bottom line company meaning we focus on three profit centers uh, financial environmental and social and uh, a little plug we are also a 1% for the planet uh, member, which means we give 1% of our annual sales to, the envir- or to environmental nonprofits um, and encourage anyone to look into that if they are interested. So that's me. So I'm, I'm John
2: Deans, and uh, I've been with Emerald for two, over two and a half years now. Um, and before that, um, I was a campaigner, researcher, lobbyist, policy analyst for Greenpeace for about nine years, and I worked on toxic chemical issues, climate change, um, energy issues of all sorts, um, oil drilling, so I spent a lot of time doing advocacy and policy analysis and, and organizing um, and then I to be frank I, I just wanted to work with my hands and i 'd always done carpentry here and there, um, and so uh, it was sort of a perfect fit when my wife and I moved back to maine from Colorado and Reggie and I grew up together and um, and so here I am so i 'm now the A carpenter for Emerald Builders, but also um, marketing director, and I also do our sort of in-house sustainability research and analysis.
0: That's awesome. I know you guys were really big uh, when the first the COVID nineteen stuff hit, and we had our first online BS in beer. You know, seeing the things that you guys were doing and up to, um, and. The research that went behind it and what can we learn and what can we do uh, was good, and hopefully that gave us all a chance to to sit back and say we we all knew we needed to be doing some of these things, but everybody gets really busy, and all of a sudden you you know you don't have time. You know how has this break? led into you doing more research on the policy and what, what needs to change? Where do we start?
2: Yeah. Um, well, one of the things this is, John, so before the government took any action, honestly, on COVID-19, we were, part of our mission is to, is to as Reggie said, we're a triple bottom line company. So we're constantly thinking about, okay, well, how does any, any, every, everything affect our community, our workforce? You know, what's the right thing to do? regardless of whether the government says we should or not. Um, and and so we, we decided to shut down the company probably a few days before a lot of the social distancing requirements and quarantines and all the different lockdowns and stuff started happening. We sent everybody home that week and... Uh, and we decided we could you know at least use it for company development and and education
1: essentially, you know we sent everyone home we we knew it'd be for at least a couple of weeks. of course, it's turned into a lot more than that now. We figured, well, this is a great opportunity, you know like you mentioned emily with with things slowing down for a minute to just to just dive deeper into the stuff and also just keep some, you know keep our practices and keep the methodologies fresh so you know as a company with our focuses. Um, you know, on the environment, on, you know, on health and on, you know, the high performance practices, um, you know, we're constantly learning, you know, new stuff and, and educating, you know, our team and trying to make sure everybody involved is just, is up to snuff. So it seemed, it seemed pretty natural just to, just to use the time as best we could to, to keep, to kind of keep keep at it and keep our minds going, you know, in, in the right direction while we, while we kind of was, fig- while we were figuring it out.
2: And we, and we ended up having to lay off um, our crew because we felt it was the best way to keep them financially protected, honestly, with an uncertain, you know, at the time, no, none of us knew how long this was going to last for. And here we still are um, uh, with massive amounts of the economy still shut down. And so we, we laid off the rest of our crew. Um, we were able to take advantage of some of the the payroll protection programs and it's an opportunity for us to plan some of the projects we have upcoming this year. Um, but also another process that's happening simultaneously to all of this is in Maine, we have the governor's climate council and they are working on recommendations for how the state can better fight climate change. And a big part of that is buildings and infrastructure. And so we've started to participate in some of those processes um, earlier in the year. There was um, Uh, There was some uh, technical advisory work being done on the Maine universal building and energy code. And so we've tried to get involved in that a bit, but it's uh, you know, it's something I'm on the board of passive house, Maine as well. And we're talking about policy there too. And there's just a think a lot of conversation around this because we're seeing, you know, when we look at climate change in particular, it's such a massive issue and volunteer action has kind of gotten us about as far as it can. You know, those of us who care about the issues are doing what we can, whether it's in our businesses, in our homes, with our vehicle buying, with the types of homes we're trying to build. And our market is a voluntary market. I mean, it's people who want to build better, want to build more energy efficient for various reasons, but environmental being a big one of them, it's it's not required by anything. And as a society, we we feel that it's time to just make everybody build this way. And design this way.
0: The feedback that we get seems to have a lot to do with risk aversion and it's easier to just not do the things we don't understand to maintain, you know, I've been doing it this way for 25 years. So uh, it's always funny to me because people say, you know, oh, Maine has this great great community. The Northeast seems to have a lot of building science or whatever. And then I take a step back and go, well, we have towns that don't have codes and places where you don't have to do anything. And, you know, architects have to be licensed in the state of Maine, but they don't have to do continuing education. So once you get your license, okay. And contractors don't have to be licensed at all. How does that help us get to um, a better policy? Uh, I don't know if you guys have read it. I'm currently reading Earth Calling by Ted Carter, and it's kind of this reminder that the earth doesn't need us. We need it, and we're just using it up. How do we use policy to really hit on those critical things, and how does it change what we're currently doing?
1: Like John said, you know, we've gone about as far as we can with this, you know, with kind of our market. I think we're all pushing, we're all doing better every day, but in the, you know, in the theory, when you look at what the report is saying, we we really need to make some serious change now. Um, And as as hard as we're all trying and pushing forward, it's quite frankly, it's just not it's not enough. So I think the policy component is obviously going to put the stuff into rule to just say, yeah, everyone's going to pick it up quite a bit, and then on the on the licensing side of things, if we can become a licensed trade, you know, builders and everybody involved as a licensed trade, some already are electricians, you know, plumbers, et cetera, um, you yeah, know, that's super important, but we've got just as much damage to do as a builder than anybody else does. And, you know, with the licensing, we can finally get some of this training that we actually need to make sure that everybody, you know, can get, is expected to and can be educated. You know in the you know all of the practices that that need to be need to be employed to build these houses correctly you know um you know as christine had said i think in your last podcast you know it's not just adding more you know she touched on it's not just adding more insulation into the wall there there are you know plenty of places to really to screw up if you know these assemblies if you don't do them right you know so we don't want to go backwards either we don't want We don't want these, you know, the houses that we're trying to push and build to become the, you know, to become this, you know, have this, this reputation that, well, you know, it's, they're too tough or, you know, oh, it's, they don't last because they're going to rot out, you know, like some of the early envelope houses and, you know, some of those houses out of the 70s, which are really cool and, and great. Not a lot of them worked, right? And it gets a bad reputation. And all of a sudden people are like, oh, I don't know. It would just bring the whole it bring the whole thing up together, which is gonna be super important. You know, for us all to do better and, and be able to do it, you know, appropriately and then have open dialogue about doing it, about you know, these employing these practices.
0: Yeah, because our codes are getting better, which is good. You know, we talk often in the pretty good house and sometimes it's you know, you make as many improvements as you can until it's, you know, no longer economically viable, but We have to stop talking about it in terms of economics, I think, because what are we doing for ourselves? I know, John, if I'm doing this out of order, I apologize, but we talked about some of us who have been doing this for a long time, have been playing the long game. What's the operational energy of our buildings and and what are we doing with that? And, oh, it saves you money over your 30 year mortgage or this is a durable product that's going to last you a hundred years. But the, The market isn't currently valuing them. Right. This discussion last night in Vermont with their Cion Group is that people who live in in better houses tend to live in them for longer too. So there's not anything to compare on the market. So it's hard to do a real estate appraisal when you don't have anything to compare it to because maybe this house that has lower carbon, it's more efficient, it's healthier, um, has never been sold because. Those people just really like it. Now we need to talk about the next 10 years of embodied carbon. And that's right. our current issue. And it's not one that we can kind of, well, we'll get to it eventually. Um, I right. think it was maybe Chris on BS in beer said, it's not good enough to just do better. We have to be doing a right. lot more. So I don't know if you can touch on the whole idea of embodied carbon as it relates to to that.
2: Yeah, well, I think I mean just on a larger level too, I mean, I think I've been I've been working on climate change issues, I mean, since college and stuff too. So the so all of let's just say all of this century so far, <laughs> 20 years of it. I've been following the climate science and it's climate science is changing all the time, but it's really just getting more refined. It's just getting truer and truer and truer and more and more and more dire. And I think industries like the building industry have been really slow to catch up in a lot of ways to the, to the science of what it really means for our assemblies. And so for a really long time, we thought that the best thing to do was to make the most efficient house. You make an efficient house in an economy that runs on fossil fuels and fewer fossil fuels are used to operate that house. Simple equation. And it made a ton of sense for a long time. Well, when you actually look at the building process, you know, homes are the thing, are the, probably the biggest thing that the average person will ever purchase or make, you know, on an individual level. Like the And one of the biggest levels of impact that an individual has some decision making over. And one of the reasons that um, embodied carbon is getting a lot of ground is that we're realizing that the amount of climate impact that a home has in its lifetime is largely front-loaded. So the impacts from the, from the material distribution, the actual installation of all the materials on site and the construction costs, and then a lot of materials and how they're manufactured or the, the chemicals that they're manufactured with using like super greenhouse gases, for instance, have a huge impact. And so it's all well and good that by 2050 or 2060, your home may have had a low carbon impact, but that doesn't help us today. And what we're seeing is that the the timeline for action on climate change just keeps getting more and more compressed. And the 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 more years that go on here without action on it, the the more we're in trouble. And so embodied carbon is really all about how much climate impact has my home had before I've even moved into it, you know, or like while we're building it, or as an architect, like when I'm designing a home, what materials am I specking, and how am I like looking at the construction process to take into account that its biggest impact for now is in um, its, its initial inception. And so for us what, as builders, a big thing that we're focused on is the material usage because not all materials are equal. They can, you can have R values from a whole combination, the same R values from a whole combination of different materials. But some of the insulation materials, for instance, have really high embodied carbon, which means before they've even shown up to your job site, They've already had a disastrous impact on the climate. Well, other materials not only don't have as bad of an impact, but they actually help the problem. They can store carbon in your home. We can actually look at homes as like carbon batteries. You know, that's a place where you're storing carbon so that it's not going in the atmosphere. And that's largely with bio-based materials like wood fiber, different grasses like straw, um, hemp. There are a bunch of different materials out there. But it's really important to start to move policy and our design and build community in that direction and away from things like spray foam and foam boards that have a really high embodied carbon or, or a process or a product like rock wool that has been sold as an environmental material for a really long time because it's quote unquote recycled from slag, but it has really high embodied energy. It takes a lot of heat to melt slag and blow it into the fibers so it's already had a huge carbon impact before, you, before it starts keeping your house warm.
0: Someone said, if concrete was a country, it would be like the, the world's third worst carbon emitter. Uh, because concrete is the single most emitting material at, what, 9% of of carbon emissions. As we move toward more carbon-based, now we're in Maine, we have lots of wood, we kind of live in more wooded areas, there are plenty of parts of the country where does it make sense to ship wood, they should be thinking about other fibrous materials. Um, But how how do we also, we, we have Forest Stewardship Council and some other policy things that are in place where people have tried to you know kind of help with that um, and I don't know that's kind of totally off topic but it came to oh. mind and I thought about it as you know you look at the the midwest and if we all start building um, you know straw bale panelization like Jacob what happens when now yeah. you know, we're growing all of this or is it already is there already enough of it that That it's not an issue. I don't. I don't know, and maybe you don't know either. But
2: (laughs) I know. Well, there's a couple of things that I've come across in that because we ask the same questions. You know, I mean, we we're we're talking about finite resources here, and and I mean, certainly things that grow back annually, like grasses that make straw, are probably the best because you know that field is just. I mean, it's literally just growing carbon every year, and if you can capture that carbon in bales and then stick it in a house without it rotting or getting burned there you know there's your carbon storage right it's pretty simple and trees just work do work like that but on a longer time scale and those ecosystems are sensitive and so you mentioned Forest Stewardship Council and what we've seen and um, I think it's in um, the new carbon architecture of Bruce King there's a really interesting graph on there that shows different forest products climate impacts or different different wood sourcing and FSC is really the only one we can trust but it it's because those forests are the only ones that really have a strong management plan certified into them the rest of them are unknown so you have to treat them like they're worse even if they may not be and i think what our point is this is why policy can fill that gap instead of creating certification programs that make people have to you know follow supply chains and all this kind of stuff if you just set forward a policy based on fsc for how forests have to be managed in this country and ideally globally, but at least we can start in our state or in our country. Well, then everybody just has to follow those practices. So, you know, that wood is good, you know, and that's really where policy can just kind of ride over all of these voluntary attempts and just make sure to make so that uh, everybody's on an even playing field. And so yeah, it whether like it's, bring the yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I feel that way. You know, with the whole industry, is we sort of shot ourselves in the foot um, as far as an industry is concerned, where we haven't brought the bar up. Like there, there should there shouldn't be any reason why we're still doing things the way we did them twenty five years ago, especially since we kind of knew. At least 20 years ago or more. That, I mean, we knew in the 70s that there was, you know, an oil crisis, and we should start thinking about these things. And then the 80s happened, and we stopped doing it. And it was like, yeah, whatever. We just had, I don't know, we're ostrich. We put our head in the sand. We're like, yeah, that won't happen again. I'm, I'm not really sure, but I feel like because carpentry isn't a licensed trade people don't, and it's socially unacceptable to go to trade school now. Everybody's got to go to college or whatever. Um, if they're going to go into a trade, they're going to be a plumber or an electrician because there's a license with that, which comes with, you know, higher wage earning and stuff. And if we stopped talking about construction in terms of economics and started talking about it in terms of what we really should be doing, you know, and, and maybe this is where I get really unpopular you know, maybe even though it's the American dream, maybe not everybody needs a single family residence. And if we can afford to build a single family residence, then we start building better, more efficient passive house multifamily residences, which solve a housing need. And how do we kind of evolve from that? I feel like it's, it's our job as the people in the construction industry to say like, Hey, that's great, but no, this is what we should be doing. And I'm not sure that it can happen on a town by town basis. Like, yeah, it's great that that um, Portland and South Portland have sort of set their own climate action plans, but knowing that the the main climate council is hopefully going to address the whole state, hopefully. Um, <laughs> <laughs> until, <laughs> until the towns with less than 4,000 people don't have to adopt it. But, uh, you know, I I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the answer is. So,
1: well, no, I think that that's all right. I mean, I think that you've just, you've hit on, a, you know, everything that you just hit on, Emily, really brings a spider web of stuff together. I mean, I think that you're, you're totally right. People who are going to get into the trades, into construction, you know, are probably going to be, if they don't have a direct passion towards one of those trades, they're going to be drawn. You know, let's be frank. I mean, money might draw them to in a in a particular direction. So you might go to a licensed trade like a mechanical trade, you know, or whatever. And and I think I think the po- in the policy change, if we can get if we can get contractors to be licensed, and if it can kind of level the playing field as well and it's going to bring again it's going to bring the bottom of being a you know bring the bottom up for everybody um so when you go into the trades you can a lot more equally look at oh i'd like to be a electrician a builder a, you know a finished carpenter a framer you know a concrete person whatever that is and you don't have to take a financial hit per se to to do that um and with all that you know it's as you as you Touched on and and said, and everybody else is you know saying as well. I mean, this is this is specialized work. The stuff that you know, you you we've got to be able to train the people, um, and with that, they should be compensated. You know, I believe they should be compensated for that knowledge and that ability. And I I'm totally with you. Um, I'll jump right out there on the on the limb and say that has. We've all fought for a long time to how into this. How do we make high performance? you know available and inexpensive and it's nothing that we should give up on but you know if we're going to adopt you know you know better assemblies better methodology and it's going to take more um you know knowledge to be able to build this stuff it, it's of there's the part of me that says it's kind of got to be more expensive you know there's a whole level of what that means and that's a whole that can be a whole other topic but uh, I'm with you. I think that there's a there's a dream that You know that exists You know, the American dream of the single-family home Might have to be really looked upon, you know, just to, to see if that's if it's still going to be a realistic thing You know, you know for all of us Because we do also need we need good people in the trade and not that we don't have them now We just don't have many people. No mm-hmm. one's really coming into this and that's a major problem and and we need it needs to be more respected people have got to be able to you know proudly say i'm a carpenter i mean i do i think john does a lot of people do but it's it, it's an, it's it's a you know the trades are very very important to to how the you know to how our world turns and again we yeah. got to bring the bottom up
0: so so here's a question the burning question for me cuz um i've done obviously significantly less carpentry uh you know, swung a hammer actually fixed the deck stoop the other day, you know, handy enough, handy enough, but not, you know, I'm not out there building houses, um, designing them, going to job sites, whatever. But, um, you know, I am pro panelization. And one of the things you said to me the other day is why hasn't it caught on yet? And my thought is if we use policy to bring the bar up, and we take some of that envelope shell out of it and we start doing some of those things in the factory i mean everything else that you put in your house is built in the factory except for the house itself and if we bring the bar up and we say it's okay if you don't understand all the science behind this here are these panels that we can use to put together your structure and we bring the bar up and we start doing that the cost of panelization Would come down, and so the the burning question for me though was going back to you guys as as carpentry people because some of the pushback that I hear is oh it's easier for me to stick build it and it's easier for me to to do this on site and is it is it being um, you know am I being rude to somebody who says like I'm a carpenter because I'm like do you really need to do framing I mean isn't there craft in you know understanding the building science or putting together the rest of it is it you know is it just in every part of the building or is if we take that out and we say here's the shell and the carpentry is everything else that goes with it is i mean is that still satisfying to carpenters
1: yeah, I think so. I mean, as a carpenter who's been doing this my my whole life, I agree with you. I think it's the way of the future. Um, you know, as a as a carpenter and as a builder, I think there's part of the problem that that we see out there is quality control. You know, like for us, you know, when we're shooting for you know we're shooting for perfect finishes, you know, that's for us. That's just that's that's baseline. We gotta, you know, what doesn't matter. What level doesn't matter. We don't have to do crown moldings and you know, and dental trim, we can be doing flat casing, but we have to have, you know, we have to have flat walls. We have to have, you know, you know, the straight places to, to go, you know, with good, you know, moisture, you know, proper moisture, you know, control and the build process and all that stuff to make sure all this stuff's going to last. I think the biggest component of this stuff too, is we build these high performance homes, you know, like for us internally, we're shooting for, we always shoot for, a um, you know, an ACH 50 number of, you know, of 0.2 is always our goal. And we do that because we want to be able to, we, will, we know that through the years that we've built, we've retested buildings we've done and dove into them and cut into them and done all kinds of things that, you know, that we'll have slippage through the years, you know, but we want to make sure that, personally, we want to make sure that we, we don't slip beyond 0.6. And that's why we shoot to 0.2 and we generally build small houses. So that could be a few proverbial pictures nailed into the wall. That's not really where our air barrier is, but anyway, but that's another thing. Um, you know, but in all of this, I think there's a control factor in, in all of that, that the tantalization to me, I think the beauty of it is that there's a, just like kind of modular, really, there's this, there's this ability to have perfect, you know, in this, in these assemblies. I think that the biggest challenge is that a lot of that earlier stuff and stuff that people are trying doesn't come, doesn't come perfect enough. And, and, So I think there's an adjustment. There could be an adjustment around that, but both ways. I think there's an ability for, you know, this is an internal question that we're having right now, you know, about who could we use for panelization? How is it going to work? What, you know, what do we do? How can we try to make sure that, you know, our perfect is the same as someone else's perfect? And what do we do if those are different? You know, how do we mitigate that? Um, And I mean, and that's and that's hard, you know, It's and, and so I'm one of those carpenters who's like, well, you know, I think it's a really good idea. And then, you know, behind the scenes, I'm like, yeah, but I don't know if I really want to try it yet, you know, um, <laughs> and, you know, because we're like, well, what do we do when it's not perfect? And we're like, well, okay, we'll have to cut the wall open and we'll change it. It's like, well, you know, um, but I think, you know, there's companies out there that are doing it really, really well. And as someone, you know, I, I am not an excavator. I work around them a lot. And and stuff, but I worked for an excavation company, um, uh, you know, for, for a short period of time, and I'm like, we don't dig, I look at it kind of like in the excavator, I'm like, you know, when you look at how someone like, you know, Unity or Benson Wood is assembling their, you know, their buildings or EcoCore, you know, you're, I'm going, wow, this is really cool, you know, we don't dig our foundation holes by hand anymore. It, you know, we just don't. And there's a part of me that, as a framer who I love framing. I'm like, I don't love freezing and cooking and fighting the elements every day for this level of perfection. So I think that there's going to be, I think that it's, I think that personally, I think it's going to, it's a little slow to start, which, I mean, obviously we're still seeing now. But I think the, the more dial this stuff gets, especially when we adopt better code and this, and the, and we bring this bottom up you know, the EcoCores, the Benson Woods, you know, the Bright Belts, all that, all of those outfits that are doing this stuff, they're going to come into focus a lot better because we've already, we're going to have to build to that level. And you're going to have to have that level of detail. If you're going to be a panelizer, you've got to be playing at, you know, an A game. You know, I think, you know, I think that, I think that as, although I'm sure we all in the high performance market are going to continue to try to do better if the bottom, com- the bottom has a long way to come up and, you know, if, if it comes up at all, it's going to close the gap to us where we sit today and where we even move forward to. So, I don't know, the long-winded story there is I think that there's a huge, I think there's a massive potential in all of that. I think that we've got to shout the successful jobs from the rooftops and say to, every, to all the carpenters out there like me and say it works. It can work. It's, it's a real thing. The tolerances are real. The air tightness is real. We've got a great finished product here. And, and we don't need to be the person who nails every stick together. That's my, that's my, that's my feel on it, at least. But I, I'm, I'm one of those carpenters who's going, I'm totally 150% behind it, but there's this nervousness of handing, that, handing my baby, you know, my shell off to somebody else.
2: Yeah. And I think... I mean, I think yeah, I agree with Reg, and, and then I think what you're saying earlier, too, is like, how does this pertain to education? I think it's, I mean, I think it's both and. I mean, I think to a certain extent, you know, if this stuff's being done in a facility that has a really controlled program, then the people operating the machinery in that facility don't necessarily need to have the building science. But if this is all going hand in hand with improving building codes, increasing, you know, policy side, And people need to know how to put it together well so that the, you know, the panels, the houses isn't, you know, determined by the quality of panel. It's, it's, it's going to be determined by how well the whole thing is finished out and how well that air barrier is protected throughout the whole construction process. I mean, another reason we really like to control, um, we we like to do our own siding, siding's fun, but it's also, it's, it means that we can control the penetrations in the, in the, in the air barrier if the air barrier is that, sheathing like exterior sheathing on a double stud wall right or if we're you know screwing strapping through eight inches of Gutex wood fiber insulation we want to make sure we're hitting studs and getting a good compression there so and not missing and going and creating new holes so i think i think we've still got to have really well educated tradespeople, and we've got to make it fun and exciting you know we've got to, people to know make sure people know that it's fun and exciting Um, and have the right programs there. But I think the policy side of it is, I think, I think the policy could help incentivize things like panelization because it can create, it, it suddenly creates the demand necessary for economies of scale, let's say, right. If, if the whole, as Reggie said earlier, if the bottom has to come up well, now that's all competitive, if, if, if what we see in the bottom of the market now just sort of goes away and, sort of crappy construction can't really happen because it needs to meet all of these new criteria, then there's going to be a greater demand for higher performance wall systems and a great, and thus a greater demand, I think for panelization. And then hand in hand, we have to go with, you know, we have to have education and training to make sure that the people putting them together know how to do it right, understand basics of building science and things like that, which is why I think the licensing is so key is that, we need the knowledge of building science to go up. I mean, you've seen in in just BS and beer in the conversation. I mean, there are some people who are just like way ahead of the curve. And then there are other people who are like, what's a primary air barrier? You know, I mean the, the gap is massive out there right now. And I think again, voluntary efforts like BS and beer and pretty good house and you know people writing articles in the in the in the journals are is really great because it's helping us all kind of get up to speed but it's really not reaching the masses because no one's being forced to do it. And I think there's the stone age didn't end because we ran out of stones. We found something better and we just have to, we have to constantly make things better. And I think the economic argument is a tough one because to me, I don't know that the, I don't think that the goal really should always be to just make it cheaper. It's just like, let's make it better and then just figure out how to make the better thing cheaper. You know, let's, let's do that.
0: And I don't think we should talk cost as much as, you know, availability to, you know, it goes back to the car industry and the whole production line, you know, and the the Model T being, you know, part of a production line. And, uh, you know, a high-end automobile was was for, for very few people until they figured out how to mass produce them. So that's another thing that people can kind of get behind or should get behind, some of the Sears Robux houses, which obviously don't have anything for building science anymore, but were actually very interesting. And they were these, you know, kit houses and people had the same one. And we're sort of stuck in this whole like custom every something or other and mm-hmm. moving towards repeating it. And Not that we want to live in that development where you're like, I'm the third house down on the left with my garage is on the right side and I have stone on the front of my building. But Mm -hmm. as far as, you know, pushing higher building envelopes and stuff is if they're coming off of assembly lines, zero waste facilities, you're going to both attract people who want to be in construction for totally different reasons. I mean, when we toured the Bensonwood plant and some of the equipment that they have from Europe is within a 32nd of an inch. I mean, you're never going to find that kind of tolerance by some guy with a chop saw on the job site, right? 32nd well, of an inch. That some
1: guy is Reggie.
0: That some guy. Well, okay. Unless that some <laughs> guy is Reggie, because, you, know, you know, there's there's everyone. I was on a... Uh, there's a
1: special level over here. I'm, a, I'm at a,
0: yeah. <laughs> that was on a... Uh, on a bs event in kansas city on tuesday night uh, with jake bruton and i was like uh you know everybody should have access to a blower door and you know maybe there would be a group of people and you share a blower door because honestly are you using it all day long every day no and so it's possible that there could be a couple of people that would have access to the equipment and then more people would be using it you know and and I, then Jake started talking about some of the things that he was doing and they put water in the building and they pressurized it to like 150 CFM and they just pushed the water out till they saw where it came out through the still leaks. And I was like, or if you're Jake, you need two blower doors. <laughs>
1: like you can't do that one. Well, that's a good point. I mean, like, I think that we got to get to a point. We, well, I think our real goal in with with the building industry, we have to get to a point where a blower door is as sexy as a titanium stiletto hammer. Yeah. You know, ooh, ooh, is that a you know, oh nice hammer. You know, like I mean that's the thing. You know, it's like you we gotta get to a point where you're like, Of course I got a blower door. What do you I mean, I I put my underwear on this morning too, you know, of course I got a blower door. <laughs> you know, but it's
2: <laughs> I think that like, yeah, I mean in Maybe as sexy as a a titanium stiletto, but also just as common as a chop saw. I mean, it just needs to be a tool in the toolbox and it will have to be. So like here in Maine, in a year from now, you're going to be required to do blower door tests and you're going to be required to be, I mean, theoretically, as long as everything finishes the way it's headed, you're going to be required to have a a three ACH. So that's going to require blower door testing and, and serious attention to air sealing. So this is going to, this is coming it's on its way. I mean, we want to see it accelerated. I mean, we want to see companies, I mean, I guess the other aspect of this that for us is that we realize as a company that if, if our voice isn't at the table, then, then no one's is. I mean, we need to have more people from our community take the conversations that we're having in all these great forums and bring them into our state legislatures, you know, things like, I mean, in Maine we, we have the fortune of having this climate council right now, Um, But they're wrapping up their recommendations. The subgroups are wrapping up their recommendations. So um, we think it's really important for people to just get comment in and try to support the right things. Because what we also know is the best, the people who are best at democracy, at using democracy, are big companies and the wealthy, right? They're really good at using democracy and participating in it. And a lot of times the people who care the most aren't so good at using democracy because they don't show up. And I think that's one of the things that that we want to implore people to do is just you don't have to be a policy expert, but you're an expert in your field. You know what needs to happen. You just got to tell the right people. And the more of us to tell the right people in whatever way we can, we've submitted um, we submitted a letter to the to the MUBEC Technical Advisory Group, you know, to try to push them on how to interpret the building code. Um, And, you know, one of the things that was in the code was that um, it would require exterior, continuous exterior insulation. Well, that all sounds well and good, except for that word exterior. Because what if you want to do a double stud wall? Now, is that considered continuous exterior insulation? Or is it inside the structural wall? So now it's an interior insulation layer. You know, there's things like that that matter that we're going to pick up on because we're like, well, hold on a second. What does that mean? You know, and I think I think that's a big part is to just try to participate in these things and make the building codes better. Ensure that if the building codes are going to go up, that there's training going hand in hand. And if it's if the building codes are going up and things are going to get more expensive, that we also have things like um, low income housing assistance programs that focus on efficiency and focus on carbon storage. You know, if there are programs funded by the state or the federal government to provide housing for people, they should be storing carbon. You know, if we're using taxpayer dollars for this stuff, it should be storing carbon and lessening the burden on the rest of us in terms of the impacts of climate change. So there's a lot of opportunities to do that. And I think that's one of the big things that our industry is really behind on is just being involved in the process.
1: I would say that, and to jump on to what John just said, I mean, I think that, I think that's all true. And as these assemblies, and to go back into the panelization thing because why not, there's, um, you know, as these assemblies get more more complex, You know, there's there is that economy of scale. There's an ability to to do it maybe better and easier, you know, somewhere, you know, in a factory setting. Um, And then I think it's also really important for us to really look at, you know, who is coming into the trades and why as we go as we move this stuff forward. I think panelization is, you know, is going to be something that starts to take over. Because, yes, you have to be a carpenter, but you really need to be more of a CNC operator for some of these pieces of equipment like that, similar Benson like Bensonwood has. And, you know, this is also going to be, these are going to be trained people to do this this work, but it, it, I, would ha- I would venture to guess that, you know, it's going to be easier to find people who are, who want to be, who can be, who can take care of carpent a lot of the carpentry stuff, but through more of a CNC program as we, as we continue on in time, then it's going to be, you know, the nuanced, you know, carpenter person, you know, and that's not to dump either of those things down. I, I think in a perfect world, you'd have both, you know, someone who can do both really well, but, you know, as we bring, as we bring people along, you know, I, I would, I would think that, you know, from what I've seen out there, that that's going to be an easier person to find than, you know, The person who just who loves every bit of you know framing houses outside
0: who wants to work outside in maine in january like you guys don't want to be putting framing up or you know heaven forbid we have snow in october and the slab freezes or you know i mean there's just so many things or you know we've talked about Um, concrete free slabs you know trying to take some of the concrete out well in order to really do a successful concrete free slab you have to make sure it doesn't get rained on which means you got to put your building up as quickly as possible so that you can put your flooring in so that it doesn't get rained on or you know and and even just back to you know tolerances and things being done In the factory, as materials change their exposure level, you know, if you can reduce the exposure level of the materials themselves, you know, and they're showing up on the job site with the WRB already on it, and you're taping seams, which you have to do anyway. Part of the reason why I think modular housing has such a bad rap is it's only as good as the person on site who's putting it together. I can't tell you how many energy audits I did on houses that are. I mean, they're still being built in the, this decade where they put together the marriage wall and they don't seal between the two boxes that they put together. And then they wonder why you show up with your infrared camera and the wall in the center of the house looks like an exterior wall with no insulation in it. And they're like, you know, we're we're running the heating system and the wood stove and we can't keep it above, you know, 50 degrees in here. And, you know, if you can't Build to the level of carbon storing and afford that in this cold climate, maybe you move somewhere warmer. Yeah. Which has its other. Yeah. I mean, I've I've learned so I'm a I'm a cold climate person. You know, I've been designing yeah. and and building most of my architectural career in Maine. Um, you know, not in other parts of the country. So I am learning uh, a ton with BS and beer uh, about other parts of the country and their own unique challenges. You know, things that, that sure. never occur to us that they have to deal with i mean hearing christoph talk about dehumidification um in in texas is like a oh yeah like right. That's a, that's a major problem. Or talking to Betty in Florida and she's like, yeah, they really encourage us never to open our windows and they don't have basements. If you lived in Florida, yes. you wouldn't expect to have a basement. So why do you expect to have a basement here? Why is that an yeah. expectation? That's a totally right. different, uh, <laughs> non-policy, non-dispersal well, kind of thing. And
2: building super insulated floor systems on piers, you know? Yes. And, doing, doing all those kinds of things. I mean, panelization and help with that stuff too. Um, and I think, I mean, you know, it's like if, if we chase if we chase the embodied carbon argument, I mean, eventually we're going to have to build without concrete, you know, or without a lot of concrete and we're going to, we're going to have to find some alternatives to putting a ton of EPS foam foam under a slab. Well, if you pick the building up on piers and the floor itself is insulated with cellulose, You've and got, you've gotten rid of both of those things right there. You know, I mean, there's there are there are new ways to go, but we've got it. We've got to develop the right systems to make them, you know, doable for everybody.
0: Especially in residential construction, where concrete is a it's a it's a easy solution. It's it's not a necessary solution. You know, we have big commercial buildings where concrete may be the the solution that has to happen just because of of size and stress or location right. you know we have places that are earthquake prone or tornado prone or flooding prone where it just makes a whole lot more sense to use it so in places where you don't have to you know going to to helical piers wherever you can should yeah. should be an easy transition it's of course not and it's unknown and people don't want to try new things and <laughs> um we have a lot of ledge, so it's not always the solution, but right. it could be the solution in a lot of places.
2: And we could require, I mean, with things like concrete too, I mean, we could just require, the law should be that if, you, if you've got to have concrete, if it's at all possible, you have to use it to store carbon. There's carbon cure technology out there that actually uses the concrete as a carbon sink, which even strengthens the material. You know, so it makes a better material. Um, it's a cheap additive and it's um and it's storing carbon so i mean this is this is why i think our policy has to be well-rounded and it needs to cover all of these different issues in a, in practical ways and that's another reason why builders and designers really need to and architects need to be at the table because we can talk about what it's like on the ground and what the real constraints are you know i think it's it's very easy i mean i operated in policy wonk circles for a long time and it's very easy for people to come up with ideas for new laws that are really hard to implement on the ground or who are really going to impact people unjustly. You know, we have to have a just transition, whether it's the workers dealing with these things or the customers that it could impact, et cetera. You know, we are talking about houses here and people need, you know, food, water, shelter, and we're, we're on the shelter end of that. So um, I think that it's more about saying, okay, let's, let's put the, let's put the regulations and laws in place everywhere we can, to minimize these things wherever possible and to make the the use of them where we need to the best it possibly can be as well.
0: I yeah. think it would be really cool. And I don't know if it's Well, it has to be possible, but I don't know how much it would change in policy. But, um, you know, we've talked about doing a semi-customizable plan set division that is specifically for different climate zones. Because I really hate when someone comes up to me and they're like, oh, I found this plan that I really love. And it was designed in Oregon in 2003, and it doesn't meet any any kind of codes structural code fire code or snow load like that's great they don't get snow it's it's neat that it has a 112 pitch but if i have a 112 pitch i have to be able to hold up 90 pounds of snow load on my 112 pitch because it's not going anywhere you know and so it would be super cool if the climate policies were location specific and could really get into you know what's what's available in your location. That was one of my biggest things on in the window industry. And what seemed so stupid to be ordering triple pane windows from Europe when we make windows in the United States, but they made the same window for everywhere in the United States. Like we don't have seven climate zones where, you know, maybe in one climate zone you want to have a high solar heat gain. And in other climate zones you want to have crazy, low no heat gain, deep, wide overhangs. Um, so it would be awesome, I think, if policy was, I, I mean, you hate to say regional, it's regional because yeah. it needs to be national, but it needs to be regional as well and connect people. One of the coolest things from, from the seon event in Vermont is those guys are really big on knowing what their local materials are. Like, I think they're doing, and maybe it's just that group, They're doing so much with like, hey, I can get this local XYZ wood and it's milled down the street or, you know, hey, we build these straw bales and, you know, we grew them at a farm, you know, and they, they're doing a lot, I think for, for carbon and they're not afraid to try. Someone said something on the B S and beer, which I thought was kind of funny, but totally true is that they had all this money to figure out how to come up with these chemical compounds to make terrible things like spray foam and that, mm-hmm. but not enough money to figure out how to do water details to make natural materials work, which would seem like it would have taken a little bit less time. Cause I said, uh, as a um, thing that I knew was going to be wrong, but I wanted one of them to tell me I was wrong, that people tell you all the time that building straw bale construction in the Northeast is just not, like it's not practical it's too much moisture here and they push back and they're like if you build with wood you can build with straw like it's all about the water management details which is actually the number one thing that architects designers builders should be thinking about anyway is what's the water management detail on here you know like what's what's this flashing detail i talked to daryl out in oregon and he's like yeah, out here people didn't flash their windows. Like when I moved out here, they just, they just didn't do any flashing at all. And I'm like, "Say what?"
2: What? <laughs> <You know>?
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean, I'm like, "Um, okay. I mean, did like did you not get much rain where you were? Like dry climate? We could consi- like it just it, you know, it, it's crazy to me. Um, and Christine and I touched up a, a little bit on this in the podcast last week is you know, what you're taught in school versus, or architecture school versus what you learn in the field. And then the dissension between architects and, and builders and nobody wanting to look like they don't know something. So sure. <laughs> that's, that's terrible. I admit every day, I don't know anything. And I'd rather you told me and I already knew it and you just solidified it. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and occasionally I might have a better idea, but everybody has value. And once we start valuing each other, that's a great, place to be. And for you guys, if if people were interested in construction and did a trade school and learned how to use a chop saw and the importance of caulking before they got to your job site, I mean, how much quicker and faster could you get things done if you weren't? Are we past the age of internship is where you actually get the skill you need? Does anybody have time to do that?
1: Well, it's funny you should say. I mean, that's kind of... It's kind of been our model as a company. You know, we bring people in, we bring people in at all levels. And you know, what, what, with what we do, it's different than, it's a lot different than conventional building. I mean, in some respects, the way I look at it is like, well, it's not really like, if you can build a stud wall, you can build a double stud wall. I mean, that's oversimplified. And I totally agree with everything that, like you and Christine talked about that, there's so all those nuances there. But I lose track of that because I'm, I guess I've been doing this for you know for for a long time. But, <laughs> um, but I think that it's I, I think that you're I think that you're onto something there totally. That you can learn this stuff, you know, in a tr- you should be able to learn this stuff in a trade school and learn it really really well. And you know, do and then and then the important thing is really get out in the field and really see it implemented and put your hands on it and really know what it takes to get this stuff done, you know? I mean, it's as simple as, you know, we see we see taping, you know? I mean, taping is something that we scrutinize heavily, you know, at the end of the day, it's kind of like, have you ever wrapped a present? Did you do a decent job at it? Well, this isn't a whole lot different, you know? This is, the, the WRB is kind of the, the wrapping paper. If best, if I better
0: never work on your job site my present wrapping skill leaves a lot to be desired <laughs> <laughs> well I mean you know what
1: you know the principles of it you know we're yeah. sitting, when we sit here and you're like you see the you see the tape line kind of like wander really close to the to the seam and the plywood or something like you're like yeah. no no yeah. no 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 you know and it's not that this stuff doesn't happen but we're like you gotta no this is this is important. And yeah, I mean, I, I, we teach at all levels, you know, we treat everybody basically the same when they show up. I think there should be, I think in
2: addition to that, there should be, as a society, we should figure out a way to throw people into the workforce as part of an educational program in a real way, because book learning trade skills is, you know, and, and in controlled shop environments and stuff, is just not the same. I mean, we talk about it all the time with, with um, new carpenters or or people from different, you know, um, crews or whatever, you know, there's a lot of adaptation to work on our crew. There's expectations to how you move around the job site, how you plan ahead and move material around and set yourself up and prepare for the day or for the week's worth of work or however it is. And there's a lot of that stuff that is, it's impossible to study it um, if you're not on a job site. And yet at the same time for a company like ours, like, we rely heavily on labor producing the product that makes the company money so that we can build another house. The gap between those two experiences isn't necessarily that large financially, but it's too big for a company like ours to absorb fully. But as a society, we should be looking for ways to do that. And you know, our educational institutions should be partnering with building companies and trying to create programs for that. Maybe nonprofits, maybe the government, but there should be some kind of like educational incentive to actually be able to put people with building companies and and allow us to be able to take a little bit of a hit so that we can slow down sometimes and actually walk people through the proper techniques, you know, even if it's not making us money because we don't want the homeowner to pay for that. A certain amount of training is sort of acceptable, but really what it takes to do high quality, high performance building, it takes a little bit more. And what we've found is at least I think for us personally, certainly, Um, for us personally. And then I think with our crews and and our peers is we're all self-taught, you know, we're all going home and reading books at night and blogs and being on BS and beer. And it's like, there's all this education that we're trying to devour, but there's no support for it, you know? So it's, it's you, either you do it or you don't.
0: Well, and that's simply because you want to, and you're, you're interested in it. Um, That's, um, I've been pretty impressed with the BS and beer shows expansion to at least connect more people across the country to that because mm-hmm. we have a tendency um, you know, and I think I jokingly said this to you, to you guys the other day is, you know, we, we get together in our building science discussion groups, which are awesome. And that's great. But if we only hang out with each other, how are we, you know, how are we kind of addressing the market? And um, when I was talking to Christine, Uh, about someone had asked me you know like how do we get people to to get into the trades or how do we get more women or minorities into to the trades Um, I read this thing that said that you get taught those spatial skills like early in life and by middle school people have sort of stopped doing those so as we start losing shop programs and stuff from school we're not sending people into some of these same STEM or technology or, or building trades because they're not, they're not building with their hands Then they're doing something else. Our middle school, we had to take shop. You had to take yeah. Home ec and you had to take shop. I don't even know if they still do. It would be interesting to find out. Then when I went to the high school, I kept taking shop. I was just interested in it. But I was the only girl in the shop class and now if we're taking that out of it are we we're we're not only taking you know maybe not encouraging women or or other kids but but not encouraging the men or the other minorities to be interested in it either and it's getting fewer and fewer people into the trades maybe because we aren't doing as many hands-on skills
2: i i would agree fully with that and so my dad i grew up in a shop teacher's house so my dad was a shop teacher and what I observed from him, which I thought was really amazing, is that not only what you're saying is true, but also everybody else who's not going to go into the trades has a great, carries a great, great appreciation for it because they've fumbled around with tools and wood and stuff and had to try to figure it out. And so they... There's a respect thing, like what Reggie was talking about earlier too. like, we this is a profession that that people should be proud to do, and that everybody else should be very respectful of. And we're very fortunate to have clients that really respect us as craftspeople, um, but we know it's not the case everywhere. And I think programs like that just instill culturally something that's really important for us to all respect you know all the work that people are doing
0: policy's got to go all the way back to middle school so you know you got to get on your your local education board make <laughs> <Like> sure <your laughs> shop is still in middle school but- yeah I did a community action project with the region nine trade school and we designed a high performance house that was built for the community action as a home replacement project. And so they got to not only build something, but build something that was efficient and know that there were some different. So like the previous year, I think they had built a shed. So they had some, some, skill and experience but one other learning experience which hopefully didn't turn any of them off was the the foundation went in late and so it got late till they could get started on framing and i think they spent 50 percent of their time shoveling that was what they did on their job site. <laughs> <set>. like that's <laughs> not fun that's my best skill <laughs> shoveling
1: yeah yeah <laughs> so. uh, well it ties back into your panelization thing you know that's also that turns into a real cost for people who are building that house too you know when we go shovel a job out for the day we're like great well that was today <laughs> we shoveled snow all day we tried to we try to plan as much as we can around that you know but it, it kind of inevitably happens and that's that but i mean I, I think you're you all you know t- touching to something you mean you know it's really great and really important you know when when i was in high school we didn't have shop or in middle school i guess we had was it called it tech ed yeah we, we kind had kind of an in introductory a minute but it
2: kind of started closing down in high school
1: yeah so closing de- like in high school we didn't have shop and and i mean i feel fortunate for for me i always kind of figured i would end up here in the trades because i always loved it and i grew up in a household you know, I my dad was a commercial sheet rocker and did residential jobs on the weekend, and we would, you know, I would go help dad and his crew, you know, sheetrock houses on the weekends. So, and that's how I made my fun money and all that. And as like a um, five year old, <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, you can wield a cough gun at five. Doesn't <laughs> no matter how straight the line is, you just put your finger in sticky stuff. It probably was fun.
1: But. It's, but you know, it was, I think it was—I think what was hard—and I have nothing. I—I I applaud. I think it's really great to have the regional, you know, programs and stuff like that. But in high school, for me, you know, I—I I made a decision. I didn't really want to. You have to kind of make a decision of which path you're going to take. And I think that there's a lot of people that that program's really great for, and it's very, very important. But I think that shop class is super important too because it's—it's it's, it, like you know, from what you're saying, I mean, it's a way to get some experience, you know, and you don't even, you don't have to become a master carpenter, but at least gives you some experience and some appreciation for the ability to, you know, for what it takes to do this work. And I think it would open up the eyes of some kids to say, whoa, this is really cool. I want to pursue this more. And then you can move into a more serious program. And I think in part of that too, I agree with your Johnson. I think it'd be great if I think it'd be great if some of these programs could vet companies and actually start to give some, you know, some job site experience. I think that they do. um, I think that it would be even better to have, you know, have them on, you know, progressive projects to really see what this stuff is. And I think to really have people, you know, I would say like us or like anybody who's doing this stuff and have a whole team, you know, the architect, the builder there to say, this is this isn't just nailing wood together. This is super important. You know, every aspect of doing this, you know, is very, you know, is very important to pay attention to. I would say, you know, I was talking with um, about a particular project um, in the Brunswick area with Peter Warren and he was like, we're building you know, we're building a rocket ship. And I think that that's it stuck with me. You know, that's that's what we're doing, you know, comparatively. These are these are rocket ships. And I think that there's there's a complexity to them that's also really engaging. You know that's something that I've found personally too. That you know the complexities, the challenges is actually really, really engaging, and has helped me, you know, stay engaged in this work and it gets me excited every day. I love good trim, but I really love good air barriers.
0: It's the it's the science, the intrigue, the interest. Yeah, if I didn't go to architecture school, I was going to go to school for science. I I don't know how policy gets shaped, but it's so huge in. Exposure, you know, we got to get people that exposure.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, our, you know, so much of policy is about direction of funding, right? Organic vegetables are expensive largely because conventionally farmed vegetables are subsidized, you know, by ag policy, right? It's the same thing. It's like, you know, I think part of this is how we look at costs, you know, it's like, you know, in the building industry materials that make people sick cause cancer to people in Louisiana where they're made and then are unhealthy for you to live in and, you know, help destroy the climate. They don't have to pay the price for any of that stuff. You know, policy can help put a price on that. And I think when it comes to education, you know, there's education be- money is being spent all the time across the country at the federal level, at the state level, you know, and it can, you know, the, where that funding is directed can help determine you know, what programs actually you know, happen. Like my dad jumped around industrial arts, tech ed, shop, whatever the title was at the time. um, Because it would be one of the first things to get cut. You know, that's the priority in our society, you know, and yet a lot of the, you know, it's like, I don't want to poo poo any of the traditional academic subjects, but I don't make as much use of them as I do, you know, a lot of the other things that I've learned outside of school. And we don't have a respect for that in our education system. We really have to diversify, but that, but people have to ask for it. And I think you're told, and it shouldn't be taken lightly. People need to show up at their local school board. They need to show up at their town. They need to go to their County. You know, they need to go to the state. And I think to make this stuff regionally applicable, so much of it just happens at the state level. You know, even federal policy usually makes a certain deferential, a certain aspect of it deferential to states, state so that it can be put into a state context. And that applies to building science, it applies to education, it applies to different economies, you know, and I think that we we have to be able to accommodate all of that.
0: I think the onus is also on us as building professionals, architects, and builders is um, maybe it's because building has been, especially building homes, has been accessible to, uh, to everyone. Lots of people have built their own, oh, I built my own home, you know, kind of thing. Maybe we're not talking about it in the terms that the people want and and that we're not giving the expectation that, that we are the experts. You know, I, I often joke, like, this is my building shell. You can do whatever you want on the inside, but this is my building shell. And, Mm -hmm. and, and this is what you're going to get, because I know that the cellulose is going to be, um, you know, a, a carbon storing material it's going to be better it's also going to be much healthier for you and it's going to be durable and hey this is main so yeah unfortunately that two by six with fiberglass in it is it's just not cutting it you know you're you're gonna be cold and your Mm -hmm. oversized heating system which short cycles and never quite gets the house warm enough because it blows heat so hot that it shuts itself off before the whole house is hot you know those things You know, when someone comes to me and says, I want to build a house, they're expecting me to know more than they do. And I, I feel like we've sort of let that down a little bit in the industry and we stopped talking to people like, economically, you shouldn't be able to tell me what goes in the law system. You can tell me if you want a granite countertop or you don't want a granite countertop, or I can tell you whether you can afford one after we've gone through the program that you need. Big proponent in kind of figuring it out on the front end, not in the field. But, you know, what is the embodied carbon before it gets here? What's that impact on our environment? We should be talking a whole lot more economics than just what does it cost me day one to put this thing up? And, and that's dollar cost, not, not carbon cost, environmental cost.
1: Well, I think that, you know, you touched on something again, you know, Emily, that, you know, people, people hire all of us. You know, in the words of Jamie Wolf, uh, Wolfworks in Connecticut, you know, you, you, we're all hired to be a guide through this process. You know, you're going to hire an architect you know, you people are going to hire you to be the guide. They're going to hire us to be the builder, to, to guide, to be the guide and to be the, to master of, you know, of our said domain, you know, and obviously that you're, you know, like the builder and architect isn't mutually exclusive. You know, I mean, it's, this is all very much a team effort, but I think, I, I think that, I think that we, as a, as an industry in, in part of that, picking this, picking it up, picking it up and doing you know, our job's the best justice that we can. It's 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 putting our feet down, like you're saying, or uh, our foot down, and saying no. You know, this is like I said. You can I agree completely with you. You can hang whatever you want on the wall. You can paint the place whatever color you want. I, you know, whatever you'd like. If it's a granite countertop, or it's, you know, or if it's a wood countertop. I mean, there's there's conversations and, and details to be honed throughout the whole thing, but. Y- you're hiring, you know, people are hiring us as professionals to get them to this point. You know, I mean, and I think that there's, there's a component. If we are a guide, then we it's our job to get people to a lot of these places. And I I think it's in our right and ability to, like you said, it's, you know, this is the shell. This is how it's going to be done. And we're going to take care of all this stuff. You, you hired, you like for me, you hired me to build your house. The airtight layer is the airtight layer. The insulation layer is maybe the insulation layer. Now, someone like you is gonna have that all kind of figured out on the you know on the on the front end of this, anyways, but these are the things that you hired us for. Now, the real collaborative components of this are gonna be, you know, a bit more of the finish out because you're trusting us to make sure the place is comfortable, resilient, you know, energy efficient. Um you know, and if, you know, healthy, friendly, you know, environmentally friendly, et cetera. And that's, you know, if you're going to hire us, you're going to hire us to guide you through that process. And I think more of us could, you know, could just draw more lines in the sand and say, no, this is where we, this, this is it. This is what we do. This is how we do it. And we'll take you to the cool spots, you know, but but this stuff is non-negotiable. And this is why you hired us
0: maybe some of us have been doing it long enough now that it's, that it's cool enough to take it to, the <laughs> take it to the masses. And is that policy that makes that happen? Is that, is that a, talking to people on a level that they understand? I know I am a building science nerd. I, I love the deep dive and reading all the stuff behind it, but that's not what's going to get the market interested
1: in it. Personally, I think it's a combination it's a you know it's it's a it's people like all of us pushing the policy to change and then it's our job to go out and be a voice you know and it's our job to become storytellers about this you know, I personally live built myself you know in my my family we live in a hyper a small high performance home and you know, when people ask me about an ERV or an HRV, I say, you know what? I, you know, this was 2010. Let's rewind a little bit. I was young. I was foolish. I wanted to save the money. I didn't put one in. And you know, I said, oh, I can kind of like Rube Goldberg was together with some like Tamarack switches on my bathroom fans and some type of like Mickey Mouse like I'm gonna crack a window. You know, I mean, it was it, it was just tomfoolery. You know, but it took I don't know oh, I don't know maybe it was three months after we moved in. I just it's like it was just me and my wife and the dog and there was condensation on the windows in the winter. And there I was marching right into, you know, uh, you know, the building supply store and grabbing an ERV and a ton of ductwork and shopping back into my brand new building and re-air sealing components and installing it and I'll never forget that first night when I turned that thing on I woke up the next morning and it was like I had slept under the stars and I was like you don't even understand how good you're gonna have it once we put this system in and people I think that's it's those stories you know that it's all of those those stories. It's the it's the house can't freeze. It's the power went out and we were totally fine. It's the resilience. It's the it's the experience of being in them that I think that we really have to just shout from the rooftops to to help make it cool. Yeah
0: i was going to say it's it's the the key between uh the healthcare industry and the building industry is um there's never enough money to do it right the first time but there's always enough money to fix it afterwards and there's there's never enough time to to do preventative healthcare but there's always enough money to pay for like crazy procedures when whatever <laughs> like right yeah, let's start thinking about it in terms of, you know, preventive measures. Anyway, John, sorry, I oh, interrupted
2: you. No, absolutely. I mean, I fully agree. I, and I think just to add on to that, I mean, in terms of what it looks like to to tell the stories too, I mean, one of the things that we've done at Emerald Builders, you know, my job as marketing director is, is marketing. And I think a lot of the building trades, you know, a lot of small builders don't spend a lot of effort on marketing, social media. Um, you know, I think people like you starting a podcast, um, Mike Mains is always writing articles for fine home building. Um, Ben Bogie's out there going to trade shows. Um, you know, uh, we work with magazines to get our stories out there, but try to put our clients front and center so they can tell the stories of their experiences in those homes mm-hmm. and talk about how comfortable, how they'd never known that they could go through a winter without shivering, you know, and. All of those kinds of things. I mean, I think putting putting some effort behind um, marketing will help your business, and it will also help tell these stories. Because, and I think working with your clients from the beginning, you know, in, in part of the team process with the architect, the builder, and the client, preparing for that and saying, "Look, we're going to want to tell the story of your building." You know, getting people on board with that, putting photo clauses in, and and just kind of cultivating that type of relationship, so that our clients know that you know their story is going to be a little bit on display in whatever way they're comfortable with, but that we want to showcase their home and their experience and who they are as people and make it really relatable to to the rest of the market. Um, I think one of the things that you were talking about earlier too that relates to this is trying to crack the nut on the real estate industry because they're the ones talking to our clients well before we are. You know, I mean, whether it's property, whether it's, you know, buying a home for a deep energy retrofit, you know, one way or the other, they're, they're in the mix. And there's a small movement of realtors now working on trying to value high performance. And, well, we actually, we worked on a home that was one of the, you know, one of the early, you know, shining star examples of high performance in Maine doing some trim repair about a year ago. And, uh, and that one ended up selling for far above um, what its market value had been even years before because of its high performance features you know, it is starting to be something that people look for. And I think even, you know, in a situation like we're in now where health is just paramount to everybody because of a virus running rampant, you know, suddenly things like filtration are on people's minds. You know, they, they didn't know they had a HEPA filter in their vacuum until they had to make it into a face mask, you know? And, and I think, you know, when we're talking about putting Zender, you know, um, ERVs or HRVs in, Depending on where you are in the country, you know, they have a a filter that can filter out virus, you know, that kind of stuff, I think is going to become more important to people. And also having places that are comfortable to spend long periods of time turns out is important.
0: <laughs> And that is, that's huge because until people had to stay at home all the time, I don't know if they had really any idea what effect their house was having on their mental, physical, and emotional well being. I'm having some kind of strange VOC issue in my house, and um, yeah. it's directly related to a door in my basement being open, which changes the pressure in my house and causes causes the air to collect in what was my office. Um, so I moved my office to a different location in the house while I'm, while I'm testing or figuring this out. But I own a blower door and know how to do zone pressure diagnostics. That's a really rare skill. I mean, there wow. are people out there doing that in their house that, well, there probably are a couple of builders and other blower door aficionados. Although it was kind of a joke because um i've lived here for over a year and i was afraid to run the blower door because i was like i don't want to know i'm like i don't wanna yeah. know what that number is yeah. but then i started having an issue and i was like i thought it was seasonal allergies we also we live on the coast but we live close to a concrete plant and there's literally concrete dust in the air all the time and i'm like oh man you know i'm just having allergies that's why i have a headache and oh no actually there's this other thing that's happening and, you know, watching it change. And I still haven't been able to figure out what the location of the VOC is, but I can control where it goes, which is kind of interesting.
1: Well, I also think it's important too. Like with all, I think, I think these stories are so important for us to get out there. You know, it's a, it's a terrible time, you know, right now, but it's also, it's also a great time to say, Hey, hey do you feel, how you feel? How are you feeling? You're feeling stressed and you're feeling terrified. I mean, I am you know, but, but are you feeling, are you feeling okay? You know, and there's this is a time, I think this is a time to, to really to tell these stories. I think it's really, really important too for anyone who feels comfortable. I think especially the people who have experience and uh, tenure in this industry to start telling the, those, I mean, those stories, the hump, the stories that you can, you can bring some humility, you know, along I think mean a lot you know it's the I didn't I didn't want an ERV either and guess what I was doing well I was chopping into the walls of my brand new house and guess how happy my wife was then you know I was like wow I don't need that thing and then here I am I mean it's you know I mean not I mean my wife's a wonderful person but who wants to move into your house you're like okay I'm gonna go remodel half of the upstairs now you know, that's, it was, it was not a fun experience. And, you know, and we've made plenty of, you know, plenty of mistakes as we've gone along and, and learned. And, and that's part of, that's part of this. I think it's a really important for anyone who feels comfortable, who knows the stuff to also say, look, you know, I know this stuff really well. I've also learned it the hard way. So, you know, if you don't believe me and you want to sit here and you want to skip the interior air barrier or, you want to skip the ERV or whatever it is? RGS, you know, maybe the taping's good enough. You know, I think it's time to bring some of those stories forward. That's like, look, you know, let me have learned for us. You know, I don't want anyone to have to go through, the, you know, any of the stuff that we've learned the hard way. And there's plenty of stuff that we've learned through other people too. You know, I think that's yeah. really important.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And, and haven't we all learned it the hard way? I mean, even just in the blower door meeting on Tuesday night, it's like, um, you know, oh, how, how big is the hole for the, the shroud and how many people have crawled through it? And I was like, there. somebody said there are two types of people, those who have already crawled through their blower door and those who haven't done it yet. Because, you know, everybody's <laughs> going to forget to put the hose out at some point. You're going to have to crawl through. Like, it's just, we've all kind of learned, uh, you know, we've learned everything, hopefully the hard way. Or I, I sort of joke, we have our five lot solar community down in Cumberland. And I was like, we had to try it all we tried so many different things in that, in that subdivision. And we're like, Oh, I mean, they almost all have double stud walls. We only made that mistake once, which was we had a double stud wall and we thought, Oh, this is going to be great. We're going to cut two inch strips of rigid insulation just for the edges of, of the two by eights to get our, our wall thickness. And I mean, it was so labor intensive and it was just, oh, it took so long and it was like, we were going to try it. And we tried it and we're like, that wasn't a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, and then we, then we built our double stud walls on a, on a single plate. And then we decided that wasn't a great idea. And then we built them separately, you know, and then, then we built the last one's going to be on a slab and all the rest of them were on, on basements and we're in every basement. One has outside insulation one has inside insulation one has icfs one like we i mean literally we had to try it all and yeah what worked and what didn't work and i think in some cases we can you know to to try to help people who are getting into this industry who don't want to learn the hard way on every single detail is you know connecting people with where some of those resources are and some of the coolest part about the building science community both uh, bsm beer and on Instagram, interestingly enough. People seem to be really willing to share.
1: Yeah, no, I, no I th- I th- it is a very open, it's a very open, really great community. There's no two ways about it. It's it's very nice. Yeah.
2: And there, I think we're also very fortunate in this community to have in different parts of the country and certainly here in, in Maine and in the Northeast, some great organizations, there's Nessie, you know, right here in Maine, like I said before, I'm on the board of Passive House Maine that's really promoting a lot of different high performance building techniques and showcases and Builders for Climate Action is getting up and running and has issued a, a white paper already that um, really focuses on embodied carbon and kind of walks through it all, but, I, but is planning to be um, offering, you know, a way for, for us all to actually do real carbon footprints of our projects and be able to actually look at how good they are before we build them. Um, and, uh, gosh, I'm sure there's other organizations I'm missing, but anyway, there's, there's a lot of great groups out there that are really, you know, providing a lot of support for the community. I think it's good for people to stay engaged in that keep staying. I mean, I think it's great that BS and beer is going as frequently as it is right now. It's sort of amazing. I'm going to be impressed if you guys can keep it up in the long haul (laughs) because i know it's a lot of work but i mean those types of venues i mean we've we've seen um previous you know crew members of ours popping in on there and then asking us questions um afterwards and stuff so they're really any any way for people to be involved i think is a good thing as well
0: just trying to share that there are resources available and i think that that you're right is there are a lot of great groups i jokingly mentioned on a bsm beer i'm like you know bs and beer summer camp would be awesome like let's go build a straw bale house with jacob at bs and beer summer camp yeah. like how cool yeah. would that be and then someone's like hey you know yes tomorrow sort of does that they've got a camp and a facility and then they build a straw bale house but they've got a camp and a facility and building science education and i was like hey that's cool i didn't know that was available like just yet another thing that it's like people are putting out really great content and we just need to pull it all together. So people know where to go to make it easy. I'm obviously a huge proponent of, of integrated design. Like if I'm designing a house for Reggie and John, and I've done a project with Reggie and John, I know kind of the things that you want to do. I bring you in in the design process and you're like, Hey, Emily, that's cool. But we've done this or we can get X, Y, or Z from, you know, like, maybe strapping's a problem to get in COVID-19 and you're like, we can cut strips of plywood for half the cost. And I'm like, great. That seems like an equal compare, you know, really a random right. thing there, but you know, yeah, yeah. everybody brings something in is like, you guys really care. You've thought about it. You talked about
1: it. Oh well, yeah. I mean, I agree too. It's not, it's not your job. It's not the architect's job to be the teacher of all of this stuff. And I think that, out the stuff that I see out there when I when I go out there that becomes there mm. is I, I think it's easy for that to become kind of quote unquote a little bit of a de facto you know mentality out there uh, which is which is just not the case I mean I, I think that there's there's there I, I agree with you there's there's a place we we want to know we want to have some labels so we know what the thought process is So somebody can draw it. So like, for instance, like our team can all look at it and we don't have to draw everything and overdraw everything in ourselves, but it's also our job. It has to be, it has to be our job. You know, this, and I think this ties back to the policy. You know, the the code comes up. We have to have continuing education. We have to know how to build this stuff. We have to hold a license and that means we've had to pass a test. So when you say, you know, it's the SEGA ABC. You know, window detail is the typical detail all windows. We're like, cool. All right, let's watch the video, everybody, again to make sure that you know we we haven't done windows in like you know six months. So let's just touch our let's just touch up on that as a team, and then we're off and running. I I, I agree that you know the architect needs to bring a lot of stuff into the but the builder needs to bring the a lot of this know how too because it has to be it has to be collaborative. I mean, a little bit, you know, however, at whatever level the builder is engaged, you know, into the project, we, we've got to have the know-how to put this stuff together.
0: Yeah. And I think everybody on the team needs to know, like, where is the, where's the water control layer? Where is the air control layer? Like, where's the thermal Uh, Because those are the things that get missed, especially in more complicated structures. PGH is obviously, you know, a big proponent of simple structures. Um, Same with Passive House. The simple structure is usually easiest to build and most efficient. How those details come together is, you know, oftentimes a 2D drawing doesn't give you enough of the information that you really need. But if everybody's kind of like, okay like our air control layer is actually our WRB on the outside on the sheathing. How's that connect to our window, to our foundation, to X, Y, Z. And you can trace that line around and everybody, like the architect needs to know where that line is when they draw it. And then the builder needs to know where that line is when you build it. And um, Steve basic said on the, Unbuild it podcast, they were arguing him and Peter were arguing uh, back and forth, whether it was, um, the manufacturer's responsibility to provide installation details or whether it's the architect's job to provide installation details and Steve is like it's my job to to know how all the components go together and I think Peter said, you know, it's, it's the manufacturer's job to tell me how to deal with this thing you've just sent me. You know, I think it's actually all three.
1: Well, I think it also, it, it goes back to if we as builders, you know, if we want to bring the bottom up as builders and we want to, if we, A, if we want to build better houses, we got to learn how to do it, do it well. And, and B, if we want to be taken seriously, if we, we want to be licensed, which I, you know, I think we do, I think we should. I think if it's going to bring us up. If you know, it brings it'll bring more people into the market. We have to have the know-how. We have to become the masters because if you turn that argument around, I mean, I don't disagree. If you know, if, if Steve wants to say, look, I, I got to know how this whole thing goes together, so I can go, so I can also be a point person to you know be be kind of a backstop to say, okay, like if something falls down, the converse, you know, there's a, now there's a conversation about getting it together. You know we as builders have got to understand these assemblies and we've got to say okay i saw you that you traced the line around but how the heck are we going to transition you know from the outside uh, you know across this window you know and up underneath you know change if our air barrier changes to the inboard side you know under a valley and you know what happens that you know it's some you know it may not even need to be that complex and that's not necessarily the most complex situation either but we've got to be able to call it out and understand it and say Okay, now we've got to let's let's workshop this on the bench before we're literally building it on the bench. You know, let's talk about it on paper. Yeah, and, you know, and it's going to bring from a builder's standpoint, from where I sit, those are the that level of knowledge and that level level of engagement, and, you know, ability into the to engage the pro, the process and the projects early on is what. Well, a it's what makes a good builder worth their worth their salt right now, but it's it's going to bring it. It's it's gonna make being a builder, you know, or a carpenter, that much, you know, more respectable, whatever you call it. I mean, so not many people are like, oh yeah, I gotta go deal with the builder. You know, I gotta go teach him how to tape the straight line again, you know, or whatever that is. I mean, you know, cause it's out there. It's out there at all levels, you know, and yeah. um, and I think we really got to pull the bottom up and consolidate us, and and we can, and that way we can better engage. We can better engage the team, you know, the architect, build their client team and get this stuff and get the details right.
0: Yeah.
1: And then it gets easier and then it gets more acceptable. And, and then we're not scared of it anymore. Everyone's building a high performance home. <laughs> That's it.
0: That's it. Everyone's doing it. Everybody's building living building challenge. No. Problem
1: solved. That's right.
0: <laughs> we solved the world's problems. Okay. Now everybody just go do it. Just do it.
2: That's right. Yeah. If I have one message for the building community, it's that get involved with policy wherever you can, wherever it makes sense for you, whether it's at the municipal, the state, the federal level, any opportunities. We were talking about this earlier and reminded of, of Howard Zinn, you know, you can't be neutral on a moving train. And this train is hauling ass towards catastrophe.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I I think that that we keep, we we have to be involved in this because I think there's a there's a I also as exciting as all this is I also can feel in the community that there's a certain level of exhaustion within action that this stuff isn't moving fast enough and it's kind of on us to step up and try to get involved in where the decisions are being made because Mm. the next couple of years really going to determine the next few decades or centuries and we have to do we have to take action.
0: If we start pushing back on some of these manufacturers like hey we want better stuff. Like They're not going to change. The car industry was not going to build more fuel efficient cars until we finally were like, hey, this is what we actually want.
2: They to right. put seatbelts in cars.
0: No, well, we see it
1: too. Like we, um, you know, boots on the ground. I mean, we see it. You know, when we set out, we set out uh, materialists to price. You know, for projects, and you know, if we're if we're using a particular, you know, specifying a particular, uh, you know, European tape and membrane, you know, company, you know, there is a lot of people who are trying to take a swing at that. You know, on our side, and I think that that, that I think that that kind of stuff's important too. And say, look, these are our. This is the criteria. This is why we choose what we choose. You know, this is are, these are the criteria for these products. We come up to the plate, you know, I'm, I'm, we're all about it. We're all about hearing you out. I'm not saying that the European stuff is the only place either. You know, there's all kinds of good innovation that's happening out there. And I think as we, we all push and use this stuff, material or, or methodology, and just put it out there, it's like you said, everything comes up. Everything's going to come up to meet it when it becomes popular. I, I think got, we, we, we have to be as much of an influence as we possibly can.
0: And we have to join the groups who are or appear to be different than what what we're doing, you know. To move, like it's yeah. great, it's great, and it's absolutely essential to continue continue the building science knowledge. But it's just as important to be in fine home building talking about building science, yeah. if not more important than it is to be in green building advisor. Because when you go to green building advisor, you you assume you're looking at green building techniques. Like you already have known that you need to go there. This old house, fine home building, uh, journal of light construction, who are going out to regular contractors. It's important to get building science stuff in those magazines, to go to the National Home Building Association, to to be part of, um, you know, uh, I'm part of an architecture group. On Facebook, there are 6,000 architects. And, you know, Mike and I are part of this group and there are days when they're talking about vapor barriers and air barriers as if they're the same thing. And then they're giving each other advice. It's an excellent place for us to just kind of continue to, you know, talk about it. Like today I had a request, somebody who listened to the podcast probably because BS beer, uh, it's people listening on the West coast. And it's a California person who wants to build basically a passive house, but not get a certification. And he's like, can you recommend an architect in my area? And I'm like, Nope. So I go on this <laughs> forum of 6,000 architects and I'm like, this is what I'm looking for, but I'm looking specifically for somebody who's doing this, who's out there, you know? And so it's just that yeah. the drum, like, Hey guys, there are clients asking for this, you know, just yeah. kind of the reminder. Right. Any, any, <laughs> any parting words on resources or books? I'm a book person. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, my book for this week is uh, Earth Calling by Ted Carter. Book or resource you guys want to share?
2: I'm going to plug um, Builders for Climate Action white paper. I okay. think if there's one resource that people need to read and understand, it's it's where we are with embodied carbon and that's, that's that's a great place to start. Um, there's plenty of other things out there, but I would go there and, and sign up to be uh, on the mailing list for Builders for Climate Action while you're at it.
0: Awesome.
1: I'm going to plug two books that are a little more business oriented, but in the same realm. One is uh, the company, the companies we keep by John Abrams, and the other one is Let My People Go Surfing by Yvonne Chanel. Those are some of my real go- those are my go to some of my go to books.
0: Very cool. I'm an avid reader, so I'm gonna plug books. And if you want to watch videos, that's cool. But
2: building nerds will change the world.
0: Last night on the on the Sion event, um, they were talking about uh, how Susan Suzanka and the not so big house was like a, a thing. I don't know, ten or, or more right. years ago, and people were like, "Oh yeah." And even those are are still. Kind of big in the realm of what I think of, but they were convincing people instead of building a six thousand square foot house to build a three thousand square foot house or something. But she she had this huge corner on the market, and people would come in with these houses, like, "Hey, maybe I don't need her books," and say, "Hey, maybe I, I, uh, I don't need that." And I said, "Somebody needs to write the book, the, the not so healthy, not so durable, not so great house." <laughs> and uh, and start talking about building as a whole and why we need to be doing better. Thank you both for taking the time to be on. I know uh, as we are jumping back in, you guys are, are working on, on getting back into our new normal. So I appreciate the time that you, you spent chit-chatting, building science with me. Cause, oh, thank,
1: you. Oh, thank you, Emily, it was a pleasure.
0: I know this was a long one this week, so if you made it to the end, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you again next week. Until then, we'll keep doing our part to stop and derail this train from headed straight towards catastrophe.